Come on, say this with me. Say, God wants to do more through me. You believe that, church? I believe it so much, man. And it's, so, it's been so cool being able to see testimony videos the past couple of weeks and just seeing everybody you've seen. Uh, number one, they're just incredible people. Second, they serve on our dream team, and every week they serve, and they serve out of their hearts and set up and tear down in different areas of ministry. Ken and Vonnie uh, serve every week, and it's just, it's just an incredible, incredible opportunity to see lives that are being changed on a weekly basis through you and through Victory Church. And real quick, my name is Troy. Me and my wife, Darla, get the incredible privilege to pastor this church. And as she said, if you're visiting with us, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. But we wanted you to see some of these videos of the past couple weeks because we want you to see how lives are changing. Yes, your life has been changed, but not just your life, so many lives. And as you guys are out and, and sharing invitations and talking to people about Easter Sunday, I want you to keep that in your mind about how lives are being changed on a daily basis so that you know that they need to be a part of this. I was in the gym a couple days ago and I went up to a friend of mine that I've talked to multiple times, worked out with a couple times, and I was inviting him to Easter. And I walked up and I said, I knew he had grandkids. And so I walked up and said, hey man, uh, I'll see you Easter Sunday with your grandkids at Victory Church. And he was like, what's going on? I said, it's Easter Sunday. We're going to have inflatables and free food and egg hunt. We're going to have, uh, I think it's uh, 10,000 Easter eggs. And I was like, you just get them here. And he was like, oh yeah, I'm going to tell my wife we're going to be there. And then he said this, he said, and I'm going to see if I can bring my sons too. And that's what I'm talking about, right? People who, it's going beyond. It's, it's not just impacting him and his grandkids, but now we could get even more generations through people being willing to come on Easter Sunday. And so, again, we'll pray before we get out of here about next Sunday and what we're asking God to do. But today, we got to get into the finale of more. Y'all ready for the word? Yeah. Hey, if you got your Bibles, turn to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 24. 1 Samuel 24, we have been in a series, like I just said, called More. And we've been in it. This is the eighth week. You guys have been here for a series that is eight, week, eight weeks long. Give yourself a hand real quick, right? No, nobody does anything for eight weeks anymore. That's pretty impressive to be in a series for eight weeks. And we've been following along with the life of David. And we've been talking about how to access the more that God has for us, the more that God wants to do in us, and the more that God wants to do through us, and we base the whole series on Ephesians 3.20 and how God, who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine by the works within us, as he works within us. And we've been talking about God finding that more and pulling it out of us and God doing that more through us. And so I thought real quick I would just kind of do a little quick recap of what, what we talked about over the past seven weeks. So in case you missed a week or whatever, whoop, uh, here we go. So first week we talked about how you're marked for more and you need to move from where you are into that more. So we talked about you're marked for more. We talked about how you can overcome the giants that are between you and your more, right? As we talked about David beating Goliath, we talked about how your reason is your reward and how you need to clarify why you're doing it. We talked about how our expectation will never match our experience. So, so right through that process, we talked about the more in us, and we got to go for it. We got to overcome the giants. We got to know our reward, and we got to expect more. And then we got into the more through us, and how we can either live our lives packaged or purposed. And then we talked about how we have a circle of influence to impact, right? And then last week, we talked about how what the devil wants us to do is to resent our past while God wants to use it in recycle it. And so we've just kind of been following along with David's life, all the way from being anointed king in the pasture to defeating Goliath, 
into winning wars and to being chased by Saul. And so for seven weeks now, we've been talking about how there's more that God wants to do in your life and more that God wants to do through your life. And today we bring it to a close with 1 Samuel chapter 24. And it was so fitting, I thought, to end up in this chapter because there's a particular story that I think is a very uh, entertaining story. And it really sets us up with the final point in this series, which is what I want to talk to you about today, which is in the process of pursuing the more that God has for your life, you and I have to make sure that we don't cut corners. As we're going after the more that God has for our life, as we're waiting and we're believing and we're moving towards it, there will be a temptation for us to take the easy way out and there'll be a temptation to cut corners. And I want to talk to you about that this morning. In 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 1, we'll read verses 1 through 4 to open up. It says, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told that David is in the desert of Engedi. So David is in the desert. Saul gets that news, and Saul takes 3,000 able young men from all of Israel and sets out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. All right? That is an actual place, in case you're wondering. In case you're looking for vacation spots for the summer, you can go to the place of the wild goats. And he came to the sheep pens along the way, and a cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. We'll get to that in a moment. David and his men were far back in the cave, and the men said to David, This is the day that the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give you your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. And then here's our verse that sets up our sermon today. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. David has been on the run for a long time. And the reason he's on the run is Saul. And David is hiding in a cave, and the reason he's hiding in the cave is Saul. And in comes Saul. Now he's in a vulnerable position, and David has an opportunity to force his will onto God's plan. And he can cut a corner, right? He can do it the way he wants to do it. He can make it easier than it currently is. He can force what he thinks should happen and overpower what God is actually allowing to happen. And I think for all of us, listen to me, some of you have maybe already experienced the more that we've talked about over the past seven weeks, and some of you maybe you haven't. And some of you, even though you've experienced it, there's, guess what, more beyond that. And in the process of believing God for more and waiting for God to do more, there's always going to be a temptation for you and for I to choose the easy way out and to cut corners, right? So how do we, as we get ready to wrap this up and we move on, we focus on Easter and different things, how do you and I make sure that in the process of pursuing God's more for our life, we don't cut corners? And I think the way to do that, one of the ways to do that is to keep two things on our mind, to remember two things in the process, two things on our mind. And these two things were normally on David's mind, but in this particular chapter, they weren't. He let him escape his mind, and because they weren't on his mind, I believe that's the reason why he cut corners. And so we're going to talk about them. And here's the first thing. The first thing you keep on your mind is other people. If you don't want to cut corners, you need to keep other people on your mind. You need to remember other people. So let me set you up. So David's in the cave. Saul comes in. 
And David's men, if y'all remember when we talked about the sphere of influence, he's now got about 600 men that are just rough and tough boys, right? They're just bad boys, just motorcycle guys, right? They got the leather jackets, and they're just, they're ready to bust some heads. And so in comes the guy who's chasing them, and he's in a vulnerable position, and they kind of gather around David, and they say a sentence to David. They say, hey, 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 this is the moment the Lord was talking about when he said he would give you, give the enemy, your enemy, into your hands. So up to that point, that's a pretty legitimate statement. What they're talking about is pretty accurate scripturally. God does want to give that situation into the hand of David. God does want to deliver David. And some theologians say that Old Testament prophets had actually spoke this out, which is why the men that were with David knew that it had been said. So up to this point, they're, they're kind of speaking honestly. But then they say something towards the end of that sentence that in the 15 years of ministry that I've been in and the 15 years of reading the Bible and listening to Bible studies and listening to podcasts, I've never, ever heard God say. I, I'm, I've never listened to a podcast and heard this communicated. I've never read a Bible study and heard God say this. You cannot find a scripture that backs up what these gentlemen say to David. And here's what they say. To do with him as you wish. The message paraphrase says this, do whatever you want. You're never going to find a verse to support that. You're never going to look up in this book of Psalms or the book of Proverbs or Malachi or, or Revelation or whatever it is that you're looking for and find a verse that says, if you want the favor of God, do whatever you want. It's never going to be a moment. And I know that would be really cool if there was just this moment where God said, hey, here's your spouse. Do with them as you wish. Doesn't work that way. Here's your boss. Do with it as you wish. Here's your finances. Do whatever you want. It doesn't work that way. There's no biblical backing to that. And hear me, any time that we start really believing that God has more for our life, we are going to have to battle the temptation to turn inward and take that more and do whatever we want with it. There's always a temptation to take our mind off of other people and to put our mind on ourselves. Let me ask you this. Have you ever wanted God's will but wanted it your way? I have a nine-year-old named Veda who, she's so competitive. And every time, every day she wants to play a game, right? And it'll be like, all right, Dad, listen, here, and she's a rule setter. So as soon as she explains the game, it's just like 37 rules right here. Just like, do, 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 do. And so she, and this is, this is how simple it can be. She can like, all right, Dad, you stand over here. Nope, nope, right, you stand right there. I'm going to stand right here. I've got this balloon, and I'm going to throw the balloon in the air, and you are going to hit the balloon, but you can't hit it with your fingers, and you can't hit it with, your, with the bottom of your hand. It's got to be the palm of your hand. And when you hit it with the palm of your hand, it goes back into the air, and then I've got to return it. And the first time it hits the ground, whoever lets it hit the ground loses. I'm like, okay. I'm going to defeat her, obviously, right? And so I'm ready to just, I mean, I'm spiking stuff on her and everything. And so like the very first time that she misses it and it drops, and she realizes that she loses, guess what she does? She changes the rules. She goes, oh, wait, 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 no, that's not what I meant. I meant whoever hit it last, when it hits the ground, loses, right? Like, and she, I mean, y'all, I'm telling y'all, she will change the rules 20 times. 
It's like, well, it has to hit the ground three times, or it has to fall off the balcony and hit the couch and then hit the ground, and then all of a sudden, she is doing whatever she can to make sure that she wins. Because sometimes in the process of wanting to actually be a part of something, we find ourselves kind of turning to caring so much about me, right? And so we want more, but that O and that R start to become a little bit faded and we focus too much on the M and the E. And we want more, but we want it our way, right? I want to raise, but I don't want more responsibility, (laughs) you know? I want the title, but I don't want the task, I, I, I tell you, I want the abs, but I don't want to change my appetite. You know what I'm saying? Like, like we want it, right? Amen, brother. I, I, I want God's promise, but I don't want the process. I want more, but I want it to be about me. And there's such a temptation. And listen to me. If you ever meet somebody who in some point in their life cut a corner, you can guarantee that their mind went off of other people, off of their spouse, off of their kids, off of their friends, off of those that they work with, and it got focused on them. Because every time we cut corners, we found ourselves drowning in a sea of me. So check out this scenario. The Bible says that they're in the cave, and the Bible says that Saul came in to relieve himself. Now, in the Greek, that word means relieve himself. Okay? So... It, it just, there is no, it just, and some theologians say that if it was the number one, he would have went outside, but because he went in a cave, it was the number two, all right? So, so, so just, can I, can I just, can I just be honest with you for a moment? So I started picturing this, because I read the Bible like I'm three with pictures, and so I'm picturing Saul in the cave, y'all been camping before, right? And you're in a cave, and he's just in this position. Now, brothers got to do what a brother's got to do. You get it. And so he's, he's in there, and, and it's a real crappy situation. And I just, <laughs> sorry. All of a sudden, David's men look, and they're like, holy crap. No, yeah, no, okay, sorry. And uh, that'll come to y'all, some of y'all later. And so he's in this position, and, and it's, it's a very vulnerable position. Very. The next, never mind. Okay, very vulnerable position. And, and, and there's really no way to know. Some theologians say that his robe was kind of laid out behind him. Some people say he took his robe off and set it over to the side. But he's in this position, and, and David has an opportunity. Watch this. He can do one of two things. He has to decide. He can either do what he wants and take advantage of his position, or he can trust the process. It's the only two choices he has. He's in the cave. He's been on the run from Saul. This process isn't looking like the promise, but he can either trust the process or he can take advantage of his position and he can do what he wants to do. It's his decision on whether or not he cuts a corner. Any of y'all ever been corner cutters? Anybody in here just a a corner cutter? I I was real bad about it when when I was getting jobs early in my life, okay, because I was young, lived with my dad had like a cell phone bill, and that was it. So I just kind of did what I want. Like one story, I worked at a movie theater one time for 14 minutes. 14 minutes. I got the job. They made me wear a tie. I never wore a tie in my life. I walked in. The lady said, hey, have I told you all this story before? I don't know. And the lady said, hey, come in. I need you to pop popcorn. I came in, I popped popcorn, and, and I realized I'm popping popcorn in a tie, and that didn't make sense to me. And I started thinking that my friends might come and see me. And so I had been behind the desk for 14 minutes, and I went over to my manager and I said, hey, I forgot something in my car. Can I grab it real quick? She said, sure. I never came back. <laughs> to this day, they don't know where I am. 
They don't know where. And so I, it, this was just kind of a common thing for me to just cut corners because I couldn't, I couldn't trust processes. So I get a job at Sears, and I'm working in women's shoes. This is 100% true. Okay, because men don't buy shoes, right? So that's why you got to be in women's shoes because they buy shoes all the time. And it was commission. So I'm working, I'm working. I'm a senior in high school. Pastor Brian is also a senior in high school. We went to school together. And Pastor Brian does not have a job at this point. Um, and so he is doing all of the fun stuff that you do as a senior. He's going on senior trips. He's hanging out with seniors, doing cut days and all this stuff. And I would be at Sears selling loafers. You know what I mean? And this was how I was spending my senior year. And one time, Pastor Brian came up to me during the day. It was, I would work in the afternoons. And he kind of leaned on the counter. And he's like, man, you're missing so much. And I'm like, dude, you know, you know you're right. But here was the deal. I really wanted this job at Sears. Can I tell you, I'm about to, I'm about to teach y'all something you don't know. There's a, there's a job, a career at Sears where you wear regular clothes and you are a normal human being. And you walk around Sears and you are private security. Okay? So you walk around and you pretend like you're shopping. You talk to people. And then they have a little earpiece in your ear like you're James Bond. And then if somebody looks suspicious, they will tell you uh, a white t-shirt you know, uh, men's clothing, 5'5", uh, five, five, brown hair. And you start to make your way conveniently over. I mean, this is the coolest job ever, right? The only thing missing is one of those sticks that you can pull out and just walk up and boom, hit somebody. And so, like, I wanted that job so bad. I wanted that job. And I had a good friend that did it. And he said, yeah, just keep on working until the position comes open and you'll get it. So I just kept on working. And Pastor Brown would come up and he'd be like, man, we're doing this, we're doing that. And I'd be like, I know, but I really want to get this job. And finally he comes up and he tells me about something he's doing. And I said, you know what? I don't even care anymore. I'm going with you. So I went into the back, and I got an index card, and I wrote on the index card about how my dad had got a last-minute job that moved us, and I was quitting immediately. And I put the index card on her computer, and I left, and I never went back again, okay? This is, this is your pastor, okay? I've been, I've been saved since then, so bear with me, okay? You're not going to show up one Sunday and be like, where is he? I don't know where he went. Um, <laughs> And, and, and so I left, and it was, you know, it, years go by, years go by, okay? And by the way, all the stuff Pastor Brown was talking about was not that fun anyway. I should have kept my job. You know what I mean? We literally play basketball together every day of the year. And so um, years go by, and my buddy calls me, and he goes, hey, Troy, guess what? One of those positions opened up as that security guard, and if you'll go up there and put in an application, I bet you get the job. And I said, man, bet. So I go up there, I put in the application, I send it in, I get a phone call a couple days later, they're like, yeah, we want you, come in for the interview. I come in for the interview, I walk into the main guy who's going to interview me in his office, I sit down, and he looks at me and he goes, Troy, um, what, have you been into some criminal activity? And I was like, no, sir, no, sir, never, never, and he goes, well, I don't know what happened, but you are flagged in every computer in Sears across America as not being able to be hired. Do you know why? I said, no, sir, I don't know why. I don't know what. It's just somebody's out for me, you know. So I didn't get that job. I should have trusted the process. You know what I mean? You know, it's all about me. And if I would have trusted the process, I wouldn't be here. I'd be a security guard at Sears. So thank God that didn't happen. All right. Um, but I will tell you this. About eight years later, Darla and I take Veda and Casey to the Build-A-Bear in the same mall in Memphis where the Sears was. And we go into Build-A-Bear. And I'm not paying attention. I got like a hood on, and I'm, I'm just, I want to just get out. And so the kids are buying what they're buying, and I'm getting ready to pay for it because that's all dads are really for, right? And so I get up there to pay for it, and I hear, by the way, I'm going to tell you, she has an English accent. And, and so I'm not going to do it because it would be embarrassing. But I get up and I hear, uh, you know, that, that, um, I am obviously doing it. Um, that, you know, that will be uh, $475,000 or whatever Build-A-Bears cost. 
And I go to look up, and it's her. It is my old manager. And she's looking at me, and I'm looking at her, and I'm looking at Darla. Darla has no idea what's going on, right? And I'm looking at her, and I'm looking at Darla. And she goes, no lie, the one behind the desk goes, you look familiar. Do I know you from somewhere? And right then, you know, she had already finished. I just got to say, no, ma'am, grab my bag, and we walked right out of that store. There was going to be no communication with her. I, I'm just telling you, I should have trusted the process, right? But that was a moment where I was all about me. I was all focused on me. And I wasn't about to trust the process when I could cut a corner and speed the process up. But it came back to bite me. So here's David, and the Bible says that David sneaks up, takes his sword, which would have been Goliath's sword, and slices off a piece of his robe. And for the very first time in David's life, the very first time since you and I have been studying the life of David seven weeks ago, from 1 Samuel chapter 16 all the way to 1 Samuel chapter 24, for the first time, David cuts a corner. Think about it. When Samuel the prophet came to anoint a new king, and David was out in the pasture, and Jesse called all of his sons up, and he didn't call up David, David could have easily said, forget this, cut a corner, left the sheep, and went and marched up into his house and said, hey, you're going to consider me. But David didn't. He served his father. And then a little bit later, when Saul sends his posse to come get David so that David can play the harp so that Saul can fall asleep, David could have walked up into the castle and said, hey, guess what? I've already been anointed to take your place, so I'm not playing anything for you. But David didn't. He served him. Remember when David's dad said, I need you to take this, this cheese and this bread to your brothers because they're out there fighting Goliath? David could have said, first of all, I'm your king. Second of all, I'm their king. I'm not taking them a charcuterie plate. He could have just laid it out. But David served them. For the first time in this moment, for the first time, hear me out, David chose what he wanted over what others needed for the very first time. Because anytime you cut a corner, you're cutting the corner because you're choosing yourself over other people. And watch this. This is probably the most profound thought about the whole thing. David chooses himself over other people. And he's standing there with a piece of the robe when God wanted to give him the whole thing. Isn't that crazy? I'm just going to cut a quarter and make it easy. But you'll end up with the piece of God's blessing when God wanted to give you the whole thing. I was at lunch with Hunter Brown. He serves in our production area. They get here every morning. Is it 6.30 still, Andrew? 6.30. They get here before Jesus is awake. It's the craziest thing. And they come here and they serve. And I'm sitting there and I'm eating lunch with him and he's talking. And he had missed a Sunday due to something. And he goes, man, I hate it when I miss Sundays. And I said, you do? He said, yeah, I hate it. And I said, why do you hate it? He said, because I don't get to serve. And here's what he said. He said, and when I serve, I find healing. I thought that was so interesting to me, that a young man that's getting up at 6, probably 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning and coming up here to process and prepare production, who may or may not ever actually shake a hand, is finding healing and serving. And here's what that told me. When we focus on ourselves, we get our peace. Our peace. Y'all remember when that saying, I'm going to get mine? Y'all remember that DMX was, I'm going to get mine. When, when you're all about you, you're going to get yours. You will get your peace. 
But you will end up with the peace when God wanted to give you all of it. When God wanted to give you such fulfillment because God wanted to use you to impact other people's lives. But when we cut corners, we cut corners because it's all about me. And when it's all about me, I end up with just a section of it. When God says, man, if you would have focused on other people, I would have given you the whole entire thing. So you got to keep others in mind. Here's the second thing. you got to keep the promise in mind. So leading up to this point in the scripture, it makes a lot of sense, right? David has an opportunity. Saul is in a very vulnerable position. David cuts the robe. And then verse 5 threw me off guard. And I didn't quite understand it. Because it says in verse 5 that afterward, afterward, David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. So David cuts it off, and then the Bible says David's guilty, feels guilty. I, 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 didn't, I didn't understand the connection. Why, why would David feel guilty? I understand what we're saying, but it's just a corner of a robe. It's not like it was the whole thing. Why, is, why does he feel guilty? And then the more I studied it, I found this out. In the Old Testament days, when one king and his kingdom would go and attack another king and his kingdom, and whichever king won, the, the winning king, the victorious king, would then steal everything that the other king had. They would steal their women and children that were alive. They would steal their cattle. They would steal their silver and gold. They would steal their weapons. They would take all of their plunder. It's all throughout Scripture. A king would come in, defeat this king, right? And then it would be like us, Smyrna, going into Murfreesboro. And we defeated Murfreesboro, right? That's what we did. Y'all Smyrna bound? Okay, all right. And we would take all that Murfreesboro had. We would just steal it all. He would steal it all. But then before they left, the king who had won, the victorious king, would go over to the king that lost, who is now dead. Watch this. And in Old Testament structures, he would take their robe, cut off a corner of the king's robe that he just killed, and then he would take that corner and he would sew it on to his robe. And so what that would do is it would create a train. You know the verses that says that the train of the temple of the Lord filled the temple? Y'all heard that before? That the train of the Lord filled the temple? It was giving an illustration to how many battles he's won. See what I mean? So when the king would walk in, and anybody was looking at him, they would see all of the different pieces of fabric representing how many victories he had. So here's what I realized. David didn't just cut a corner. David was about to make a statement. David was about to cut his robe off, kill him, and then sew that robe onto his robe because that was what they would do. David was about to make a statement. This was about to be way bigger than just cutting off a little corner of a piece of fabric. This was a big deal. So now it made more sense that David felt guilty, but now I'm still in the point of why does David feel guilty? And verse 6 really threw me for a loop because here's David about to make a statement, right? David cuts off the fabric. He's about to make a statement. He's about to kill him. He's about to slice him. He's about to put this. He's about to be the man. Verse 5. Now verse 6, watch this. All of a sudden he says to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master. My master? Say what? My littlest has learned how to say, say what now? And so we'll be in the car talking, and she goes, say what now? That's what I would say. What now? Or, your master, the Lord's anointed. Or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. There's a huge shift here, y'all. There's some tension in this moment. David goes from cutting off the robe, about to make a statement, to dropping it and going, whoa, 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 whoa. The Bible says he rebuked his men. Don't, don't hurt the Lord's anointed. And all week, man, I'm like, what? What happened? What? Where? 
And I get it, y'all. I know that we're like, well, he, the Lord spoke to his heart. Shut up. You know, I mean, that, that's like, like I, I get it. I get it. But I need more than that. Because I'm a real human being, you know what I mean? And I need more of, I need something that happened that David could go from cutting the corner of a robot, from going to making a statement, from literally having an opportunity to end his problem. Because remember, Saul is trying to kill him. Why would you feel guilty for trying to kill someone who's trying to kill you? What happened? What was a tra- what, what went from him doing that to saying, no, 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 not the Lord's anointed? And I'm about to tell you what I felt the Lord tell me, and here's going to be the, the, the craziest thing about this, is I can't prove it to you because the Bible doesn't get this specific about this moment. So what I'm about to tell you, the reason I believe that David switched, you're not going to find point blank in the Bible. So you get to decide whether you believe it or not. You get to decide whether or not this is what you think happened. But this is what I like to think happened, and I am going to show you the scripture that Gave, that put me down this thought pattern. I didn't just pull it out of nowhere, but I want to show you verse 3. We read it, and you probably didn't pay much attention to it because we were reading through it pretty fast. 1 Samuel 24, 3, watch this. He came to the, what? Sheep pens. Okay, so this is Saul. Saul comes to the sheep pens. Along the way, a what? Cave was there. So what that tells you is that the cave that they are in is right beside what? Sheep pens, Right? So here's the deal. The cave is there so that when the sheep find themselves in a bad storm or whatever it might be, it's a large cave. They can, they can retreat to that cave and find protection in that cave. That's why that sheep pen is set up there. So again, I'm processing this. And I'm like, all right, Saul goes into the cave. Saul's men are outside waiting on him. Saul probably turns to face outside the cave. Am I right? Because you're not going to do this. With them behind you, you know what I'm saying? So he turns around, David's behind him, David comes up behind him and begins to cut the robe. And here's what I here's what I believe. Because right outside the cave is what? Sheep. And I think David goes and cuts the robe, and he's getting ready, and he's about to end his life, and he sees sheep. And I think there's a moment where he remembers the promise of God. And he goes all the way back to when he was pasturing and watching his father's sheep. And God originally told him, you're going to be king. That moment where he didn't get invited into the house, but God got him there anyway. The moment where the process didn't quite line up with the promise, but God always came through. And I think there's just this moment where David starts to think this way and go, wait a minute. I remember the promise that God gave me when I was with the sheep. And then here's the, here's the moment I think he had. And I'm about to steal what God promised me to inherit. Wow. No, 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 don't touch the Lord's anointed. What? Say what now? No, 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 don't touch the Lord's anointed. Because God has promised me that robe. And we will not cut corners. And we will not take it by force. Because then what we have stolen, God had already promised to us. And if we start trying to do God's will our way, we'll end up with the peace when God wanted us to have the whole thing. And you got to keep the promise in mind. There's going to be moments where you want to back up. And there's going to be moments where you want to stop. And there's going to be moments where you're going, man, this process ain't matching this promise. This thing Pastor was talking about more ain't looking more. I feel like I'm getting less. 
and this ain't working the way it's going, and you're going to be tempted to want to cut corners. And I'm telling you, God's telling you, keep the promise in mind. Remember the last time you were in the pasture? You didn't get invited into the house that time either, but you trusted the process of God, and God got you in the house. Remember the promise. You keep others in mind, you remember people, and you remember the promise. And as long as you keep those on both sides, as long as you have people here and the promise here, it somehow is able to balance you. You ever seen somebody try to do a rope walk, and they'll have that pole, and that pole is balancing them? Hear me, church, that if you'll keep people on this side, and you'll keep the promise of God on this side, it somehow balances you and keeps you from wanting to be focused on you. Because can I just give you evidence that people might have told you all your life is wrong? You have flesh, which means you can come to church, and you can worship, and you can fellowship, and you can teach growth track, or you can be in growth track, and you can serve in V-Kids, you can serve in the parking lot, you can lead worship, you can go out of this church into a restaurant, and all of a sudden be focused on you. And people will tell you, you're a sinner. No, you're human. But you've got to get over that. And you've got to be able to overcome that when those thoughts come. And how do I do that? How do I quit focusing on me? How do I not cut corners when the process doesn't match the promise? And you do it by keeping others in mind and keeping God's promise in mind. Ephesians 3.20, for he who is able to do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. That's his promise. And the process is not going to always look like the promise. But you got to keep the promise in mind. So, this past week I got the opportunity to go to something called the ARC Conference. The ARC Conference, A-R-C, stands for Association of Related Churches. Um, I wasn't going to go. Me and Darla weren't going to go. And, and I had a pastor friend who pastors in Nolensville, Music City Church, great guy, called me and said, hey, i got a free ticket. i got a room you can stay with me. You can ride with me. Basically, it's a free conference. I said, i got to go. Wasn't planning on it, ruined my whole week's schedule. I went to Darla, I said, I gotta go. I just feel like God wants to tell me something at this conference because long story short, I didn't register for it and yet God's getting me there. She said, babe, go, go, you, gotta, you can do what you gotta do. So she lets me go, I get there. Wednesday night, it's, it's a Tuesday and a Wednesday thing. Wednesday night, I'm in the auditorium. It's a church that seats about 4,000 people in the auditorium and it's called Church of the Highlands is the church. I'm in the church and um, at the time, Craig Rochelle is preaching and he's talking about doing everything for the glory of God and all this kind of stuff. And, and I'm in this moment. And all of a sudden, during a prayer time that he has, the, the Lord reminds me, listen to me. Three years ago, I was in the same auditorium. Okay? So Wednesday night, three years ago, I was in the same auditorium. I was there because I went to the conference asking God, should I plant a church? That's why I went to the conference. I had never heard of church planning, never knew anything about it. And I went to the conference, and I'm literally, the last night at that time, a guy by the name of Jensen Franklin was preaching. And I'm in the service, and I'm asking God during his altar time, God, am I supposed to do this? And I just felt the presence of God in the coolest way just confirm, trust me in this process. Yes, you're supposed to plant this church. And Jensen Franklin gives like this prayer type, altar call type thing. And I went down, a bunch of people, and I'm down. I'm, I'm, I'm not looking at anybody. I'm just down there, and I'm praying, and I'm crying. I find out later that my wife was watching on live stream, and at this moment she's praying and she's crying in our house in Memphis because we both know this is about to happen, and it's like the scariest thing we'd ever done in our life, and we didn't really know how to process that, and I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm believing, and I just felt God say, trust me in the process. 
So now three years later, I'm back in this auditorium, and I feel God telling me, remember? Remember three years ago you were here, and you were asking me, and I promised you something? And I hear Craig Rochelle going, just remember why you do it. Remember the work is the reward. Remember it's for the glory of God. And I'm like, yes, God, I know, I know. And my phone buzzes in my, in my, in my pocket. And I have my Apple Watch connected so I can look real quick and see because I didn't know if it's an emergency. And I look and I see the name Bobby Goings. And I'm thinking, oh, boy. And so I say to myself, well, he's having small group tonight, so I better check on the text just in case something didn't go right. And so I pull out my phone in the middle of this time, and his text says something like this. It says, Pastor, I'm blown away by our small group. The way it's growing and the miracles and the prayers that God is answering is incredible. And I'll read that. I'll put it back in my pocket. I wasn't going to answer yet because we're still praying and we're still worshiping. And y'all, this was such a sweet moment. God said to me, Three years ago, you were here believing for a promise. Now you're here rejoicing over the promise that came true. I was in that same place asking God for a church. I didn't know you. We didn't know this school existed. But I was trusting God for a promise. And then we went through a process. And hear me, there was a lot of opportunity in that process to cut corners. But we stayed faithful to it. And now three years later, I'm in the same place rejoicing and thanking God for the miracle. There were people meeting in a house. I was in, not even in Smyrna, Tennessee. I was in Birmingham, Alabama. And there are people gathering in a house, studying the word of God. God's answering prayers. God's doing And then Bobby takes me and said, some of them want to gather in the school on Saturday before Easter and pray for Easter. I sent back, heck Yes. Let's do it. Let's do it. The miracles that are happening now that I'm rejoicing God for was the very thing three years ago I was asking him for. And what I'm telling you is the things that you're believing and asking God for now, there's going to be a day that you get to rejoice in them, but just don't cut corners. Whatever you do, don't cut corners. Don't look for the easy way out. Don't look for the way that focuses on you because it's never been about you. And the more that it's about them, the more God blesses you. And so keep others on your mind and keep the promise of God on your mind and keep going and going and going and believing and going. And when times get rough, just put your feet in the ground and get ready. Don't ever be mad at the process because it doesn't look like the promise because you don't know what God's doing. And just believe and trust and serve and believe and trust and serve and believe and trust and serve. And I promise you that there will be a time where you look and say, God has done immeasurably more than I could ever ask or imagine. Amen, church? I know we've been through a lot the past seven weeks. But this is just the beginning. And then I think, I think God loves me. I really do. And sometimes he does these things for me just to let me know. Because he tells me all that, right? Now imagine me, y'all. I'm, I'm in this church and I'm, I'm in my little seat and I'm standing up. And I'm praying and I'm crying. I put my phone back in my pocket. I'm thanking God. Craig Rochelle gets done praying and, and then this song begins to play. Watch this. Remember, eyes closed. He says amen. 
Oh, oh, victory belongs to Jesus, victory belongs to Him. Oh, oh, victory belongs to Jesus, victory belongs to Him. Oh, Jesus, victory belongs to Him. Oh, oh, victory belongs to Jesus, victory belongs to Him. Oh, oh, victory belongs to Jesus. Victory belongs to Him. Oh, oh, victory belongs to Jesus. Victory belongs to Him. Oh, oh, victory belongs to Jesus. Victory. question to think about as we leave this series and then I wanted to give you the answer for it the question is what is the more for God why are you giving us more and it's to turn around and give it back to him the promises that he's answering in my life they belong to him I had a good friend tell me one time we were in the gym we were talking he just kind of said this statement to me and then he ran off, just kind of punched me in the gut and ran off. He said, was, was victory your idea or was it God's? Can I ask you a question? The, the, the thing that you're praying God, praying and asking God for, was, was it your idea or was it God's? When you ask for a marriage to be healed, do you think that's your idea or do you think it's God's? When you ask for a child that's fallen away from God to return, you think it's your idea or you think it's God's? When you want friends and family members to give their heart to Jesus, is it your idea or is it God? He said, is it your, was victory your idea 
or was it God's? And I looked him straight in the eye and with an honest heart. I said, it wasn't my idea. It was not my idea. I don't volunteer to move and, and put myself through faith-filled journeys. That, that, that was God's idea. And then he said two words. He said three words. And then he walked off like he had dropped some, like, invisible microphone at my feet. He said, then it's done. Hear me, church, if the more that you're asking for was God's idea, then it's done. Your daughter that wants to come back to the Lord, that's God's idea. It's done. The healing, the marriage, the ability to be able to walk in favor and blessing, the physical healing, that's God's idea. And it's done. It belongs to Jesus. So here's what I'm going to do. Here's how we're going to close before Pastor Ryan comes up. We're going to sing that one more time, but I want you to replace the word victory with whatever your dream is, whatever your prayer is, whatever your more is. And I want you to proclaim that it belongs to Jesus. Can you do that for me? So be thinking right now, band, you go ahead and get ready. Whatever that is, be ready. Be ready to replace it. That whatever it is belongs to Jesus. You ready, church? Jamal, take us into that. Victory belongs to Jesus. Victory belongs to Him. Oh, oh, victory belongs to Jesus, victory belongs to Him. Oh, 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 victory belongs to Jesus, victory belongs to Him. Victory belongs to Jesus. Victory belongs to Him. 